the food security of many societies around the world depends on agrobiodiversity and the sustainable management of various biological resources that are important for food and agriculture. Welcome, welcome to the LifeWatch Eric podcast, A Window on Science, bringing you updates on the European e-science infrastructure for biodiversity and ecosystem research. In this season three, we're interviewing individuals and organizations that contribute to open science and the study of invasive alien species. Today, we visit our distributed center in Bulgaria to discuss agrobiodiversity. First, though, an enormous welcome to our listeners who, and here I'm so pleased to announce, have downloaded 1,000 episodes of this podcast, The Window on Science. Thank you so much. That's it's a great milestone. I'm Julian Kenny, and today I'm delighted to present my guest, Vladislav Popov, Professor of the Department of Agroecology and Vice-Rector of the AUP the Agricultural University of Plovdiv. Good morning to you, Vladislav. Good morning, Julian. Thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. This is great. Um, Professor, you're in a great position to explain to our listeners just what agrobiodiversity is. You're an expert. Uh, Thank you very much for this question. I I would like to, to, to do so. I'll try to do so. Uh, first of all, uh, many people doesn't kind of recognize the, the importance of, of biodiversity in agricultural land and uh, within agricultural fields. Uh, uh, the, this, is, this is why we have to uh, somehow promote programs that are teaching not only the students but also a larger society about agrobiodiversity. And uh, agrobiodiversity is actually the, the abundance of plants and animals and their varieties on the farmland. Agrobiodiversity is the result of natural selection process and the careful selection and inventive developments of farmers, herders, and fishers over millennia. So this is a very long-term process. Mm. Uh, also, we have to say that the, 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 the food security of many societies around the world depends on the agrobiodiversity and the sustainable management of various biological resources that are important for food and agriculture. Myself, I have studied land use practices, different varieties and vegetables, uh, the effect of mixing vegetable crops uh, instead of, of uh, monocultures, I was studying crop rotations and the bioactive compounds in, in uh, fruits and vegetables. That was mm. my, my work in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, also, in the last five years, we have been working hard with other universities and research centers so that we can make a, a good consortium that now becomes a distributed center of LifeWatch Eric. But uh, I have also been working uh, together with my colleagues throughout the Balkans and the Central Asia. So uh, I, I have to, to, to uh, say my thanks and my gratitude, to express my gratitude to the Department of Agroecology and Environmental Protection at Agriculture University of Plodi for all these opportunities we have been given. Yeah. 
Oh, you mentioned there your work in Central Asia. What was your focus there? Where did you go? Uh, this is a good question because Central Asia, many people doesn't uh, don't um, somehow um, observe and, and, and know that, that the Central Asian countries like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan are actually the cradles of, of biodiversity, world, worldwide biodiversity. Many people mm. don't know this. They, they, they have really rich uh, abundance of, of uh, uh, animals and animal and, and plant species. Uh, also the Altai mount, mountain, which is really important for biodiversity. But what we have focused from the agricultural point of view in my studies was to develop and offer technologies for growing legume crops and especially and specifically the chickpea. Right in the dry steppe zone of Akmola region in northern Kazakhstan. Sure. Uh, why it was the case? Because uh, why we, we, we focused on legume crops? Because uh, there is still monoculture over there. Predominantly countries like Kazakhstan are growing uh, cereals, yeah. which means monoculture. Uh, they don't apply too many uh, fertilizers, especially organic fertilizers. They rely to a certain extent on chemical fertilizers. So... We were trying to uh, to uh, provide alternative technologies for legume crops, uh, for growing up legume crops, in order to substitute uh, fertil- uh, chemical fertilizers. And I was looking at the combined effect of integrated system of optimal agroecological conditions, soil cultivation technologies, for instance, zero tillage versus traditional tillage. And addition to nutrients in form of fertilizers or biostimulants of legumes on the growth and productivity of chickpea. It was, it was a study that was directed to chickpea because chickpea is actually, chickpea varieties in Kazakhstan are naturally grown for many, many centuries. So we were trying to restore traditional varieties over there and somehow uh, rotate them with uh, cereal crops. We found that traditional soil cultivation and this conservation tillage, we must say, improves germination and vitality of seeds and makes effective use of soil aeration and soil porosity in the soil layer of 0 to 20 centimeters. Also, our results show that the com- combination of mineral fertilizers, uh, phosphorus fertilizers, plus uh, root inoculants like risotorphin, that, that's the name of this inoculant. Hmm. Uh, and the combination of, uh, uh, again, is agriphosphorus and risotorphin can be recommended to farmers, and they, they were very happy also to work with us on these uh, new trials because the legume crops like, they very much like uh, phosphorus and, and um, uh, rhizobium to stimulate rhizobium bacteria. It allows for late sowing, making the use of high temperatures uh, also improves, chick- which also improves chickpea plant height and yield up to 88 to 95% more compared to the con- control variant. <laughs> That's a which lot. Was with, which with, yes, it is very much uh, compared to the, to the conventional system of growing. This provides new economic incentives for farmers that practice environmentally friendly farming in Kazakhstan. And by the way, uh, when we started five, six years ago, after that, uh, after this, this research and, and work with international organizations, for, in, for instance, OneCertify from Italy, the organic farming 
actually started to grow up and to uh, to be largely spread in Kazakhstan. Wow. Good stuff too. I love chickpeas. <laughs> um, so look, in general, you know, today it's fashionable. You know, there's a trend towards eating organic food, you know, that's grown naturally, in inverted commas, naturally. Is there a basis in science for this? Is it? Is that the right thing to do? Yes, yes. Uh, actually, I have to tell you that we're working on the organic food quality and uh, production of organic food, the techniques and and practices. We are working at the Agriculture University of Plodiv since 1996. Mm. We have been involved in Tempus Project, uh, so-called Tempus Project of the European Commission together with the University of Bologna and the uh, University of Wageningen, the Netherlands. Mm. And we were since '96. We were trying to monitor regularly the agrobiodiversity in the fields of the Agroecological Center of Agriculture University, uh, and we actually converted after 1995-96. We converted 10 hectares, very small piece of land, to organic uh, production. But it was very important uh, for our students and for future farmers, organic farmers, because organic farming, as you know is uh, probably the one uh, production technology at the moment, agriculture production technology, which is uh, based on legislation. It is officially accepted by uh, all the European uh, Union structures, by the European Commission since 1991. The first regulation on organic production, crop production, has been published in 1991. So for 10 years... Yes, uh, so, so many years already, mm. 30, 31 years after that. Uh, so for about 10 years, uh, uh, we have compared the impact of organic and convention, conventional agriculture land use on certain agrobiodiversity indicator groups. For instance, insects, birds, or small mammals. We, we have determined uh, the taxa density and abundance across selected indicator groups, uh, insects at the level of order, uh, and we have determined so-called indices of biodiversity and diversity profiles. We've been working very hard on biodiversity indices, and overall biodiversity of the indicator groups in selected organic land uses, for instance, cereals, orchards, pastures, was higher than the reference conventional land use. And it has been proven, actually our study has proved many, many European studies on that. And uh, for instance, uh, we found a significant difference in exemplar density of class insecta, um, uh, so the insects, uh, for Mm, instance. Yeah, insects. Uh, For instance, about 2,200 exemplars in organic versus 712 in conventional land use. And it was detected in spring and summer, actually, when the abundance is is very profound. It's greater. Yes. The results uh, can be attributed to the absence of chemical plant protection inputs in organic cereals and orchards, minimal soil cultivation, and the regulated grazing in the organic pastures and meadows. So the moment we started to uh, reduce and stop the chemical inputs, all the Predators, uh, natural predators like ladybirds and other mm. insects started to come back to the to the fields and orchards, and uh, and we have experienced great support by this. Uh, and it, it is actually a natural plant protection, by the way. 
Hmm. So, but but of course we need further research um, uh, to 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 study all these effects of of enlarged agrobiodiversity. But the extra cost of organic food is justified. That's my conclusion. Yeah. Well, yeah. Of course, as as a scientist, you have to put in there that further research is needed. But it is definite. There's no disagreement on this. Look. Um, it's it's great. It's really interesting what you had to say. And then another <laughs> favorite of mine, you have a great interest in apples. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. This is a famous saying, and uh, it, it's true. It's true. When you when you read the literature, that that's true. And uh, we're, because Bulgaria is actually a traditional producer of of apples, uh, it's mm. in the past and even now. One of the the major producers in Central and Eastern Europe, different varieties of apples, uh, also Bulgarian traditional varieties, by the way, very resistant in the winter time. Uh, but mm. apples uh, are one of the major sources of phenolic compounds, dietary fiber, and antioxidants. So, therefore, not only in organic uh, production but also in conventional production, uh, con- consumers people are very interested to eat apples to consume apples. But um, the organic management of fruit orchards can increase biodiversity. And it, it, that was our aim uh, during the last uh, six, seven years to prove this. Right. And therefore, right. it contributes to achieve uh, so-called ecological balance and uh, productive agroecosystem of, agroecosystems overall. In the period of uh, between 2013 and 2020, uh, together with my colleagues, we have investigated the dynamics of selected insect-indicated taxa in the soil on orchard service and apple trees on the apple trees in uh, our organic apple orchard of the Agroecological Center and compare with the reference uh, conventional orchard in the region of, of Plodiv in Bulgaria. So we found uh, very, very uh, interesting results. The density and diversity of insects indicated taxa were high in organic soil and in conventional soil, uh, than in conventional soil, which means, uh, listen, the agrobiodiversity, uh, I have to point out this, Hmm. I had to be very explicit in the beginning. It is studied above the ground, but it's not studied very well below the ground. So why is that? Because everything that you see above the ground is is seen with your eyes, with the eyes of of uh, agricultural producers or consumers. Mm-hmm. But we 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 as as scientists owe very much work to be devoted to uh, study the the agrobiodiversity below ground, because this is very important for our soul. All yeah. the below ground agrobiodiversity is the major factor of uh, um, mineralizing organic matter, the dead organic matter, and to keep organic matter levels at the very, very good good uh, conditions in the next years because organic matter is decreasing in the last 10 to 20 mm. years. So mm. our, our task is to restore this organic matter in the soil. Uh, but but actually, it, it is related with other factors. It is related with rainfall. It is related with agro-management practices, actually, yeah. like mulching, like organic fertilization, because it adds a new, fresh organic matter in the soil and provokes all the organisms, soil organisms, to work very well in the soil. 
So some changes in population dynamics were related to food availability and climate conditions. That, that is our overall conclusion. Mm-hmm. But the so-called ecological intensification uh, or eco- eco-functional intensification, that was a term that was introduced, for instance, I don't know, probably 10, 12 years ago by uh, Swiss uh, Institute of Organic uh, Production, which is called Feeble in Switzerland, right. the term eco-functional intensification through organic practices um, very much is expressed by indices which is which are called agriculture intensification index in the indexes I'll, I'll, I'll speak about it hmm. uh, and it leads to high diversity of key beneficial beneficial insects like um, uh, ladybirds from coccine, family coccinellidae, chrysopidae, cantaridae which keeps pest population below economic threshold levels. And this is very important for the Green Deal and Farm to Fork strategy because this way we reduce the amount of chemical yes. pesticides that yes, we have to apply. which kill everything. Yep. And they don't yep. just kill the pest, they kill the good guys. Yes, yes, yes. So yep. let's, um, can we dig into this eco-functional intensification? That's quite a mouthful as a, as a term, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is. And uh, and actually, we have to look at the processes that are going in, in agroecosystems to understand this eco-functional intensification. Why? Because usually when, when we say the term agricultural intensification, means that this is the, the style of agricultural practices and agricultural, uh, uh, let's say, um, approach to move from the lowest impact all the way up to industrial high impact forms of agriculture, meaning a lot of inputs, a lot of chemical inputs. But the eco-functional intensification is on contrary. It counts of on on uh, on uh, beneficial insects. In, it counts on um, uh, organic fertilizers or uh, managing organic uh, residues in the soil. All these natural factors that are actually we can copy from the natural ecosystems and transfer them to the um, uh, agricultural ecosystems, agroecosystems. So uh, th- this is an approach that that we can actually measure the, the impact of this um, ecofunctional intensification through so-called agriculture intensification index. Hmm. Um, uh, usually in the in the conventional farming. We can achieve the, the, these high yields with monoculture, artificial fertilizers, but those methods can lead to yield decline due to soil sickness, mm-hmm. negative effects of other crops like weeds and, and trees, and also uh, so-called autotoxicity when one crop is growing continuously for several years. This is this is the monoculture actually. Um, so in the last, let's say, 10 years or, or even more than 10 years, we started at Agriculture University and uh, throughout the whole Bulgaria to promote so-called ecological intensification in, in each agroecosystems to um, uh, mobilize uh, uh, green technologies uh, such as mulching, such as um, uh, legume crops, uh, promoting pheromone traps, etc., etc., to help uh, natural predators and to reduce the, the chemical applications. In another study, for instance, I can give you another study that we have been working, I don't know, probably more than 25 years on, 
we have looked at the mixed crop, mixed cropping or mixed crop cultivation, growing other vegetable crops and spices like parsley, dill, onions, and carrots together. Mm. But also combined with tomatoes, for instance, which is one of the major crops also in Bulgaria and in right. yeah. the results actually were only tentative, but that uh, uh, agro agrobiodiversity approach seemed to improve seed germination and roots and shoot growth in all species. Also, for instance, when you grow carrots and onions, they can help each other by destructing. Uh, pests from from one another, which is uh, very uh, useful and very often uh, the farmers in Europe use as as their approach. So mixed mixed crop. Right. Yeah. Overall, I ha I have to say at the end that there is still a lot of work to do. We are still continuing to do this with with students and farmers, by the way, which is very important to use this multi actor approach and to see what our farmers are asking. Uh, from us, from the researchers, mm. to to to, uh, to provide them as research results, new technologies based on agrobiodiversity, but also to uh, share our findings with researchers from other countries. And in that right. sense, the LifeWatch Eric virtual research environment is very very useful to us, and we're very very happy to became uh, distributing new. Dis very new, very new distributing center of live watch since 1st of January this year. Mm. So I hope that in the coming months and years, we'll be working very closely with our colleagues from other seven, eight countries in Europe to make fruitful results for society. It's fantastic stuff. It's really fascinating, the work you're doing. Vladislav, I really, um, you know, you just don't see this stuff here. You don't, as a, as a mere consumer in buying produce, you know, chickpeas, carrots, yep. tomatoes. Yep. Maybe we don't think about this enough. And, you know, we tend to think I had this idea that food security is a product of modern times, but agrobiodiversity and sustainability have always been a concern for humanity. Yes. So. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, I mean, uh, I have been participating in several seminars with FAO, and for instance, FAO in the last uh, probably six, seven years put a lot of attention. For instance, even back in 2015, the FAO pronounced 2015 as the years of legumes, mm. the, 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 years, the year of pulses. Uh, mm. year, uh, during year 2020, the FAO pronounced this year as the year of plant health. So we are working on this issue and especially about plant health and agrobiodiversity it is of great uh, help uh, to work with LifeWatch Eric uh, mm. because their data are really vital for all European, not only farmers, but policymakers and consumers and researchers. Yeah. And yeah. bringing science-based knowledge. Yes. That's the yes, key, isn't it? Indeed. indeed. Yep. Look, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, thank you, Julian. And... We'll have to talk again later sometime. Yes, no problem, anytime. <laughs> yeah. Look, thanks also to my producer, Fabrizio Lecce, and to you, the fabulous followers of the Window on Science podcast. To find out more about LifeWatch Eric's e-science facilities dedicated to biodiversity and ecosystem research, visit our website on www.lifewatch.eu. And please recommend us to your friends and colleagues. 
help us raise awareness of the work being done to understand how environments are impacted by anthropogenic pressures and climate change. Thanks again, Vladislav. I look forward, followers, to our next encounter here on A Window on Science.